Hey, welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, within the community. We are working to build people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guest is Reverend James Ross II, the pastor at Pilgrim Congregational United Church of Christ in St. Louis, and is also the new president of the board of MCU. Today, we're gonna talk about direct action, what it is, how it works, and how it relates to the work of people of faith. Welcome, Reverend Ross, thanks for joining us. Thank you, I'm pleased to be here. Good. So with the recent murders of Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, we've seen people angry about racism and the abuse of power by police getting to the streets and expressing themselves in public. One of those tools being used is direct action. So let's start with a definition. What is direct action? Direct action is an effort in which people who are concerned about an issue um, use their bodies and or do some have, provide some other action that um, uh, confronts the specific issue. So it brings brings to light a particular problem, and it um, illustrates a, a potential solution. It usually has a target, so that it there is a person who can respond to that action, and uh, and it offers a specific way forward. So it is. It is going directly to the source of the problem um, through whatever means that is and offering a way to resolve the issue that is a concern. Okay, and it's also been pointing out before that this is different than just a march or a protest. How, what are some of the differences? In- yeah, some of, some of the differences for me are that um, a march or protest usually is about demonstrating numbers of people, and that is sort of the biggest issue. Um, but direct action usually uh, causes a disruption of some type. So it creates some kind of a problem that needs to be fixed. So it, it draws to the attention of those who are in power the, the power of the people organized together so that it, it puts the pressure on, on uh, decision makers to do something to resolve the concerns that are being raised. Okay. You talked about... Um addressing this this power towards those in power, whether it's the police or whether it's lawmakers who, who have the ability to make change, but there's also direct action that sort of disrupts daily life. And mm-hmm. I've, I've had friends of mine ask, you know, what's that purpose? So what, what is your answer to someone who, who thinks that or questions the, you know, shutting down of a shopping mall or, or the highway? That, that also is a, a direct action. Mm-hmm. That is a direct action, and it, in my mind, it has a number of purposes. One is to highlight for the individuals involved, uh, so those who are shopping or those who are driving along, to remind them of this issue uh, and to, to uh, demonstrate to them that there is a role for them to play and to call them to be in solidarity. Um, and also to, uh, so maybe if it's for uh, a shopping center, to also uh, draw to the attention of those who are stand to lose money when those shutdowns occur. Uh, and I know that those are often um, inconvenient for people, but that's the goal, right? They are in- intended to be disruptive uh, because um, 
you know, the way that I will say it is that if you think this is, this is inconvenient for you, imagine the inconvenience that people are trying to address uh, and, and the um, ongoing inconveniences of daily life for those who have chosen to put themselves in their bodies or to risk whatever it is to be involved in this, in this situation. Okay, yeah, I had thought about the disruption or the, uh, you know, inconvenience factor before, but, I, but what you, something you just said was that um, th- we have to remember that, that, that power is supposed to rest in the hands of, of people, so that mm-hmm. disruption is also disrupting voters, if you will, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. who are going about their daily business, right, reminding them of the, of the issue too, so. Right, because often we can, um, if something is not a, of, a particular concern to someone, often um, it falls from their consciousness. And I think that these actions serve as a reminder um, for those who, for who, who may not be directly impacted by a, an issue or concern that this is still an issue. So, you know, people complain about having to wait in traffic when there is a disruption. Um, well, if that is a disruption that is about police treatment of African-Americans, it is ultimately a small inconvenience to be reminded that there are people who are dying uh, at the hands of police, often unjustly. So um, uh, so if, if, if it has the impact of reminding people or bringing to their consciousness that this is a reality, then it, for, in my mind, it's, it's worthwhile. Okay, good. So how do you see participating in a direct action as part of your Christian faith? Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I believe that as a Christian, I seek to follow in the ways of Jesus, and I believe that Jesus uh, spent his entire life in ministry uh, in a way that was about confronting uh, unjust power. And so that means that he um, put, he used his body, he used his words, he used everything he had to confront those structures that were unjust to poor people, to marginalized people, for women. Um, and he did it in ways that were not and as always, um, you know, as kind and um, gentle as we sometimes domesticate Jesus to be. So if you think about Jesus overturning tables in a temple, that is not, you know, an act of uh, timidity at all, right? That, that is problematic. I mean, for people who were there, that's a major disruption. Or if you think about um, Jesus um, interrupting a conversation where, where someone expects a conversation to go in a particular way and taking all of the attention uh, away from that conversation. That is a disruption that is a direct action. Or even for me, meeting someone at a well and having a conversation with someone for, with whom he's forbidden or whom society will say you're not supposed to talk to, that is a major type of, of, dis, of disruption that would be seen as scandalous. And in the same ways, um, much of what is done in direct action is seen as scandalous by many people. It is not not polite, you know. It's it's not uh, in in the in the in the world of acceptability in in terms of the way that we think about what is more acceptable. Um, so uh, I I think that is the same tradition. Okay, I'm gonna take the question uh, uh, and flip it a little bit. How, how do you think your faith makes your approach to direct action different than than just political? Hmm. Yeah, um, so I think that what we think of as political, first of all, depends on how our lives are impacted by it. So um, you can consider something just political if you can view it from a distance. But the issue of, um, let's say, policing or police violence or, or racial justice or queer justice 
it's not political when it is your life that is at stake, right? So, um, so that's the first thing. Um, and it's also about the involvement of real people, right? So it is not simply that we are, are, are talking about this in a theoretical frame. It is about how God's people are impacted and how their lives change or do not change as a result of these actions. And so um, perhaps you could call that political, but I think of that as being in solidarity with God's people, which I believe, um, which you know, I happen to believe that Jesus and God are in solidarity with, with those who are most marginalized. And so I think that this is very much for me in, in keeping with my faith traditions and practices and beliefs. So how do you stay mentally and spiritually ready? How do you, how do you bring, how do you, I guess, how is practice prepare you for action, if you will? Mm, so for me, it is important to remain grounded in why we're doing the work that we're doing. It's also, for me, the stories of faith are really important to remember um, where the motivation comes from and to remember what it means to be in solidarity with people to draw on what my own experiences of loss and uh, um, oppression and uh, disfranchisement have been uh, and to hear the stories of others. So to be um, always connected to all of those things. Um, Also though, to understand um, what the goals are and how um, that relates to who I see myself to be in the world. I think people, I think people approach these uh, from various spiritual perspectives, but I think that whatever it is, it's important to understand what grounds you as an individual and how you um, stay focused. Because the truth is that often these become, uh, there is the potential sometimes for these to become volatile situations. And you have to under, you remember your grounding in order to be able to behave in the ways that are strategic, that are in keeping with who you want to be, and all those and all those kinds of things. You have to know how you're going to behave in the face of violence uh, directed uh, toward the group. You have to know how you're going to behave if things start to uh, escalate. Um, and it helps to be trained in all of those things, but it's also helpful to be um, very clear about who you are in relation to your faith and, and how you believe your faith uh, leads you to operate in such moments. Okay, good. So a lot of outside observers may think direct actions are kind of random and chaotic, but talk about what goes into preparation. This, these are, these are not necessarily, um, uh, Hey, let's just get together, but, but there's a lot of, um, planning that goes in, uh, if not, um, time wise, sometimes time doesn't allow, but there's, there's definitely that thought about the target and the why. So how Mm -hmm. how does that happen? Right. And um, I would say that a wise direct action would never be just sort of randomly done. It is very specific. Um, There needs to be a clear target. So um, who is the person who we want to reach? But beginning with what is the problem that we want to solve or address? So who is the person who can solve that problem or address that problem, begin to move forward that problem? And then what are the ways to bring this to the attention of that person to um, create a situation to which this person has to respond, um, to put pressure on this person, to do whatever it means to um, um, generate a situation in which this person can be responsive. What does this person care about? Who does this person hear? Um, If it's uh, uh, election time, how do we 
generate a um, an action that um, this person needs to address in order to be electable. If it is uh, another time, to whom will this is this person accountable, and how do we create a, um, an action in which this person needs to respond to persons about whom he or she uh, to whom he or she is accountable? And, and other times is what is it that um, matters in the daily life and operation of the, the the space in which this person is talking about? All of those things should be considered. So, but ultimately, you want to think about what is the action that um, would lead this person to respond. Right? So, how do you create that? that situation, but it should never be, um, in my mind, a, an effective direct action would never be random, it would never be without a target, and it would always have very clear goals, um, very clear asks of the person uh, whom you are approaching or who is the target. Do you feel sometimes that those those goals and those asks get lost in the media when it's all about images of confrontation? Do you, do you uh, does that, concern you at all? I think it does happen sometimes. I think that the, um, the challenge for people who organize these actions is to make sure that everything that we do is targeted around, it, it is messaged properly. Um, so that the, if there are posters or anything, as much as you have control over that, to make sure that the message is clear on those posters, to make sure that the chants are clear about what the message is. Absolutely, I think often um, either because media people and as a, as a person who was a journalist for a long time, uh, you is sometimes unclear to media people. So maybe we don't always do a good job of articulating in advance what we're asking for, um, which is, I think, part of it. Um, and I think also, uh, you know, sometimes reporters are put on stories at the last minute. They don't get the information they need to have. So they do what they see. They report on what they see. Um, but our goal, our our and, and, and our challenge, our responsibility, I believe, is to, to find ways that those messages come through regardless. That means that everybody who's speaking should know and be very, very clear and very direct about what the issue is and what the asks are. It means that, again, all of the media, all of the posters, anything like that that we do chance, all of that should be consistent. And it's okay. a lot of work, quite frankly. I think people think that people just get together and show up. Um, but it's, that, is not, that is not the case at all. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't sometimes people who get together and show up um, and, uh, you know, protest something. But that is different from um, a strategic direct action. And I guess that brings up two questions. One is th this is, uh, is long-term work, too. This is uh, a lot of times the results don't happen the day of or even the week of or the month of or sometimes mm -hmm. even the year of. But it sounds like it's a it's constant pressure that, that needs to be placed on the structures. It is constant pressure. Um, for example, um, today there is an action which we'll be doing um, at, the, at the youth um, center. And we are, this is the second action in the last few months um, that is about seeking to have youth released. Um, but even before that, uh, organizers have sent a letter to the administrators there. So, you know, this is not something where you go and you necessarily anticipate, oh, we're going to do this one action and something will happen. It would be great if that if things happen that way. Um, but especially if you're talking about long-term policy changes, you know, specific policy changes, um, um, the way, changes in the rules, changes in the ways that things happen overall, those usually require uh, repeated um, 
ask, and maybe even different tactics and approaches. So there may be direct action. There may be other approaches. There may be, you know, you may have a legislative campaign or a, you know, some other campaign around it. Um, you know, so I think that the challenge of doing change work often is that it is, for the most part, long-term work. And the, the rewards, the, the successes sometimes seem small in the interim. Um, and um, that can be discouraging, quite frankly. Uh, but for people who are committed to seeing those results, um, there is a necessity of, of staying in tune and staying engaged uh, until the work is done. Okay, good. And the the action you were talking about is uh, directed at the Division or Department of Youth Services um, facility on Hogan Street in North Correct. St. Louis, uh, mm-hmm. which we did a a, a drive around uh, a, a month ago. And what what is so frustrating with that is everybody saw, sort of saw this coming, but this week mm-hmm. it was reported that 18 of the youth in the facility now have come down with COVID-19. Um, right. and, and it's something that was preventable, and it's something that our actions were actually asking for ahead of time, um, mm-hmm. but because action wasn't taken, um, those those kids have gotten sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's just heartbreaking that, that the, the answer was there, um, but now these... Uh, these kids' lives are are affected this way by this illness. Absolutely. This is exactly what the efforts were intended to um, prevent. We knew that there would, could not be proper social distancing. We knew that the sanitation requirements would not be able to be met. We knew all of these things. And, uh, and as you said, the ask was for these young people to be able to go home, um, for them to... Uh, avoid the situation now more than in uh, to have tested positive for COVID-19. Um, the other frustrating part about that is that we know from best practices and other data that um, community-based solutions are the most effective when seeking to address the concerns of youth who have been accused of participating in um, some type of behavior that would be defined as criminal. And so um, it, all, it just doesn't make sense from uh, from any perspective, and now we find ourselves in this in this situation um, unnecessarily, and it is the young people who will suffer as a result. Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit now. Specifically, when we're talking about direct actions that target racism, um, how should whites uh, be allies and participate? There's a, there's a, uh, we're the ones that that benefit from the structure that's in place, and we have to be mindful of that when we enter this space. So. Any, any advice on that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the very most important item is to follow the leadership of Black people who are, are, are there. Um, so uh, it, this is not the time for white people to, um, to decide that they need to be out front unless they are requested by Black leadership to go out front. Sometimes that is a strategic choice, but uh, it is important to always be willing to yield, to be able to hear um, the, the voices, the, the goals, the ideas of the, the black folk who are there or the people of color who are there um, and to not assume that you have the answers or that you need to be the savior because people aren't looking for a savior. People are looking for allies and partners. Uh, and I, I think that's the most important thing to know that um, there is inherent power in whiteness uh, and to not use that power 
um, in a way that is destructive in, in that moment. And also I think there's the other piece about, um, you know, oftentimes there are um, engagement with, engagements with police in these types of situations to be very careful about what that looks like because there is a way our, our experiences with police are not necessarily the same. And so it is not helpful in a situation where um, people of color are called, talking about police violence for white people who are involved to buddy up with police as though it, they're friends. And that sometimes happens, right? Um, and it's well-meaning, it's just not helpful in those situations. So to be very clear about what the goals are to um, follow the leadership and to just 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 hang back and, and until asked to do something different. Okay. And, and one of the things that sort of was an eye-opener for me when, when listening to the direct action training last week, um, you know, that was, I was blinded to because of, of my privilege, is how oppositional the police or other authorities are. Um, they're very tactical in their actions, whether it be uh, uh, surveillance or, or the way they, f- they form uh, in the streets. And, and this reality affects how groups plan and operate, doesn't it? It does. It does. Uh, I mean, groups know that um, those sorts of behaviors are possible and have to um, decide to um, situate bodies um, in in preparation for their or in test or in anticipation for that. And as I said, that may mean that sometimes white participants are asked to do particular things that can be helpful in responding to that. Um, and it also means that if you aren't sure what's going on, it can be a dangerous situation for you. So it's also important to, to follow the leadership of, of, of the folks who are there. Okay, that's a good transition to safety. Um, by nature, direct action takes, takes risks. What are preparations for safety and, and what are some guidelines? Yeah, I would say just the first thing is to be very... Um, clear about what the expectations are of the organizers. Um, to, uh, to never go to an action alone, to have a partner, somebody who knows where you are. Um, so that's two things. So you wanna have a, um, a buddy who you're going, with whom you're going or a group of people. And you also wanna make sure that somebody who's not going uh, knows your whereabouts and knows um, you know, your, your personal information. You wanna do things like, um, uh, carry as little with you as you possibly can. You want to make sure you're dressed appropriately so that if you need to leave an area quickly, you can you can run, you know, or whatever it is that you need to do. You want to uh, carry um, something that you can use to cover your face if, if people are using tear gas or something. Uh, you want to, um, uh, you know, make sure that you don't leave alone. You, you want to... Um, you want to make sure uh, that you check with the organizers to find out if there are any particular concerns that they have also so that you can make sure you're, you're ready to address any specific um, situations that may not, that you may not as an individual anticipate. Okay, good. And your church is hosting a de-escalation training. Can you describe what is de-escalating, what is de-escalation training and, and, and who is it aimed at? Absolutely. Um, de-escalation is pretty much as it sounds. So often in um, direct action, there is the possibility for, specifically for police to engage in actions that 
uh, can move an action from nonviolent to one of violence, frankly, or that could um, um, cause um, some type of harm to people who are there, physical harm. And this is intended to, be, to provide people with um, tips about how to best um, engage when such a situation prevents, presents itself. So here's how you show up for this kind of a thing. And these are the tips to um, specifically make sure that you are not contributing to making matters worse. Here's how you protect yourself in this situation. How you, here's how you have to protect others. Here are things you do and things that you don't do. Um, and it is, it's, it's targeted at everybody who is seeking to um, participate in a protest. We also are specifically including clergy members in this, in this um, because, you know, uh, MCU does work very closely with all, with faith communities of all types. And there is a special clergy often play in, in these types of gatherings. Uh, as people who can help to de-escalate situations, as people who um, can uh, be voices uh, to help address um, a specific type of triggering art or target or um, or um, trauma that someone is dealing with in the moment, um, and um, hopefully the presence of clergy helps to. I mean, historically, in many cases, um, police have been less. Um, likely to engage in violent actions when, when in the face of clergy, that doesn't necessarily mean that's always the case, but there is a role for clergy to play uh, with that. And, and I think particularly white clergy um, as it relates to that. Okay, good. I want to thank you for your time today. This has been uh, some good information and we want to encourage folks to keep an eye out on social media for opportunities to become involved. So thank you Reverend James Ross II, the pastor of Pilgrim Congregational United Church of Christ in St. Louis, and also the president of the board at MCU. To learn more about MCU, go to Metropolitan Congregations United, uh, mcustlewis.org. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. And if you would like to participate, that's where to find events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.